This is the Photography Podcast on Photography.ca, episode number 122, How Big Can I Print That? An Interview with Royce Howland. Hey there, everyone. How's it going? And welcome to the 122nd photography podcast on photography.ca. My name is Marco. And as usual, we're coming to you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. For today's podcast, we're going to talk about how big can I print that photo. And uh, this podcast is sponsored by the camera store, the largest camera store in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And by coincidence, today's guest is Royce Howland, and he's from Calgary as well. Well, Royce has been on our podcast a couple of times before to talk about uh, the technical matters. And uh, this time we have him again, and we're going to talk about how big can I print that? You know, sometimes when we have photos, we want to make them bigger and bigger, and maybe we just want to know the limits of how big we can print, and uh, Royce is going to explain it all for us. And because we get into it in good technical detail for uh, a little over 40 minutes, let's just get right into it now. And so I'd like to welcome a really special guest to today's podcast. Uh, today's guest is Royce Howland, and uh, Royce has been with us before uh, on doing some podcasts. He did one with us on photorealistic HDR. We also did one recently on getting rid of junk in your images, you know, chromatic aberration and halos, that kind of thing. But today we're going to talk about how big can we make our print. But uh, before we get into it, uh, welcome, Royce. Thanks again for doing this. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to talk with you again, Marco. It's always a real pleasure. Real pleasure to talk to you as well. You have this facility with making complex things more understandable. So we're hoping uh, you'll be able to wield your magic again today. I'll do my best. Awesome. All right. So let's just get right into it then. You know, people take pictures and these days, some of us want to make them big. And sometimes we want to make them bigger than our camera suggests we should or that theory suggests we should. So I thought maybe we could just talk about how big is too big? How big can I print that kind of thing? So before we get into it, like what's your initial take on this situation? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, you know, the one thing I'll start off just by framing the overall conversation is I think probably a lot of uh, the listeners on photography.ca are printing. But for those maybe who are not printing yet, maybe they came to photography in the digital era where I think a lot of people have tended not to print. I just want to offer one piece of advice, and that is print your work. Uh, I think we've lost a lot in uh, digital photography by losing track with good prints. Uh, we're used to just clicking through things on a monitor or an iPhone, you know, or something like that. And that's that's a brand new thing that digital has brought to the table. But good prints are, are really important to do. So if people are printing and they want to do some enlargements, one of the first questions that often they run into is, well, how big can I really take this thing up? You know, I've got a camera. Uh, whatever it is, maybe it's a high-end DSLR, maybe it's all the way down to a camera phone, and, and what can I really do with it? Um, so that's a, a really good, uh, a really good technical question. Um, there's a, a bunch of factors that we'll talk about that go into it, but the the most obvious thing that is going to come into it in the area of digital enlargement is just a really simple thing, and that is how many pixels are in your image. The short answer is the more pixels you've got, the bigger you can print. It's uh, it's going to be a really easy thing to talk about there, but that'll be modified by some of the other factors that we'll talk about later. Awesome. Um, I would just like to reiterate that, you know, I've said this a jillion times, but I come from the film world and I've printed my own things on paper for eons. Now I'm printing on paper in the digital format. 
but there's nothing like printing. Those people that haven't necessarily had the, the good fortune to have print for themselves, you have to try it, as Roy says. There is something inherently more satisfying, in my opinion, uh, with regard to holding a print that you made versus just putting it out on Facebook or on your website. A print is a physical thing. And these days, we're getting less and less of that on the web. And there's something inherently special about it. So I just wanted to say that I really agree with you, Royce. Um, and I, I hope this might encourage some people to indeed try a printing because it's wonderful. I totally agree. Couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. In fact, it's it's amazing. Cool. Let's just get right into it and let's get some basic definitions out of the way, maybe. You know, we talked about how many, or you just mentioned rather, how many pixels, uh, the more pixels, the more you're going to be able to enlarge. Let's talk about the megapixel of your camera and how that's going to relate to how big you can print. So if someone has like a two megapixel camera or a 10 megapixel camera, how does that work? So every image that comes out of a digital camera uh, pops out with a certain defined size. It's got uh, what we would call a resolution in pixels. And you're going to see this you know, all over the web, the camera review sites, every uh, thing that has a, any kind of technical specifications about the camera because we're so obsessed with with numbers as a marketing thing, you know, or as a thing to justify that camera A is better than camera B, the resolution in pixels always factors pretty early on in that conversation. So it's easy to find out the resolution. You know, if you go to any website like DP Review or any of the others that are out there uh, that talk about cameras from a stats and statistics standpoint, you're going to find the resolution up uh, way high in the information they talk about. So to keep the math easy today, so we're not throwing a lot of numbers around, let's just take a garden variety uh, camera that would have been a pretty common resolution up to a few years ago. We've, we've gone beyond it in the last, I would say, three or four years, but let's call it a six megapixel camera. And what that is going to mean is uh, for most ways that the sensors are designed, you've got 3,000 pixels across by 2,000 pixels high. 3,000 times 2,000 is 6 million pixels, roughly 6 megapixels. So we'll use that as our, our baseline theoretical image that we talk about today for how big you can enlarge. Fair enough. Makes sense. It's a good, easy example, I think. And if we need to go bigger, you know, we'll, we'll keep the math easy if we want to talk about some other theoretical examples. So again, just to make things really easy, you mentioned a 6 megapixel camera, 3,000 by 2,000. And that 3,000 by 2,000 is because the sensor is in rectangular proportions? That's exactly right. Uh, the sensor is a chip in the back of the camera that records the image and they're almost always in a rectangle. They're wider than they are, are tall. You'll get a few different details. You know, some will have a different proportion uh, width to height, but we'll keep it easy for math purposes and say it's a, a, a proportion of three units wide by two units tall. So we'll say that's 3000 pixels by 2000 pixels. Which is the conventional way we view landscape images, let's say traditional horizontal format, exactly. Where do we go from here in order to get our understanding? Well, let's just throw out a, a quick rule of thumb just to, to frame up this whole question of enlargement of how big could I print that? If we take our theoretical image, a six megapixel image, 3000 pixels across by 2000, and let's, let's say you're not cropping it at all. You know, the camera uh, produces an image and you wanna print that full size image. You're not gonna crop, you're not gonna do anything. How big could you really go? Uh, in our email exchange setting up for this, I kind of threw out a benchmark as a good, better, best kind of a, a target to shoot for. And I suggested uh, with modern digital printing, if you want best results, you would print 
on a physical paper that had a number of inches of width and height so that as you spread those pixels across the paper, you're going to get roughly 300 pixels per inch of paper. If you wanted, and that's for a best result. If you want just a good result, something, you know, uh, decent to look at, something you could frame and hang on a wall for sure, nothing uh, against it quality-wise, you would want to spread those pixels across the page so that you had about 200 pixels per inch of paper. And if you wanted something that was still uh, acceptable, uh, maybe it's a one-time event, a birthday or, you know, an anniversary, some kind of celebration, maybe uh, your kids have a sporting event or something and you've got uh, a winning goal or a winning touchdown, you know, something like this, it's not going to recur. You still want an acceptable print that you could look at. You want to blow that up and frame it maybe uh, for your desk at work or whatever. I would say spread those pixels across the paper so that you've got about 100 pixels per inch of paper. So if we do some math with our theoretical image that had 3,000 pixels across and we want a best result at 300 pixels per inch, you do a really simple equation. You divide 3,000 pixels and 300 pixels per inch. That's going to give you 10 inches. 3,000 divided by 300 is 10. So that would let you print an 8 by 10, say. That's for best results. Okay, and just again, obviously, just in case people aren't, you know, familiar with this concept, the more pixels you have in a given space, the sharper it's going to be. Exactly, because each pixel is a piece of image detail. Uh, you know, there's, there's technical stuff going on inside the camera, there's technical stuff going on inside Photoshop or in whatever your printing software is. But just think of the pixel as the smallest piece of image detail that your eye is going to be able to see. So the more that you're concentrating those pixels on the paper, if you've got any kind of detail in your image, fine details like fabric textures, like foliage on a tree, or the details of rocks and wood, uh, the texture of stone, you know, anything like this, uh, the finer you concentrate those details on the paper, the sharper and uh, just crisper it's going to look on the page. The more you're spreading the pixels across the paper, you've only got 3,000 pixels, for example. If I'm spreading those out on bigger and bigger and bigger paper, I've still only got 3,000 pixels. I'm having to dilute them down. I'm having to spread them across a wider area. So they're going to start to look a little less sharp, a little less crisp. They're going to start to look a little more fuzzy. There will be a limit where you can't really go beyond it without it completely falling apart. But that that's not a hard limit. It's a, it's a fuzzy range, and it's quite elastic. You can push and pull on it. Right. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today, because even though someone may have, um, you know, a camera from a few years back, it's six megapixels, they can print 3000 by 2000, which we've just established as a good eight by 10. Very often people still want to print bigger. They want to bring it to, you know, level 11 or something. They just want it as big as they can be. And we can artificially add some pixels inside in order to make our prints larger, correct? Absolutely. Uh, there's lots of terms for that. You can call it upresing, you can call it enlarging, you can call it upsizing, you can call it interpolating. There's all kinds of phrases. But at the end of the day, what we're going to do is take those 3,000 pixels because that's the real data that we have in our image. That's what the camera recorded and that's all the real information we've got to work with. So if you want to spread them across a wider and wider and wider width of paper during the printing process, you got to fill in those blanks in between. You can't just take the dots and spread them out and leave blank space in between. That's going to look like uh, a newspaper print. If you've ever taken a newsprint photograph and you know you really eyeball it up close, you can see all those dots in there and you're seeing the paper in between the dots. 
with a good photo print, you don't want that. You want to just see, you know, uh, maybe there's a, a kid running around on a football field and he's got a red jersey. You want to see the red color of that shirt. You don't want to see a red dot and then the white of the paper and then another red dot. You want to see red. So the software, when it tries to spread that image across a larger and larger and larger surface area of paper, it's going to look at that jersey and say, well, I've only got so many pixels of real information here. As I start to spread them across, it's a red jersey, so I'm going to guess that I'm going to in introduce a bunch of pixels in between these other red dots of real data, but those ones that go in between, they should probably be red because it's a red shirt. That's red all around. I'm going to put red in between. But ultimately, the software is just making it up. It doesn't really have any idea what the real detail is in there. Maybe the jersey was actually red and black stripes, and in between there should be some black. Uh, it may not be able to figure that out. So this process of upsizing the image is fabricating, manufacturing new pixels, and you can think of it as fake detail. You know, it's having to create these pixels from nothing and stick them in between the real ones that we got from the camera in order to fill the space that's going to be turned into ink laying down on that paper. And the larger you try to enlarge, the more the software is having to manufacture these pixels. And that's where you get into trouble with enlarging too big, is you've now got so many manufactured pixels in there that they just sort of fuzz everything out because the real detail that the camera actually recorded is now in the minority and these manufactured pixels are in the majority and it's not going to hold up past a certain point. So our goal, of course, is to determine what that point is and how close we can get there. Yeah, so I had thrown out uh, some numbers earlier on in a kind of a good, better, best spectrum. And I suggested, you know, best is 300 pixels per inch. Good is around 200 pixels per inch and still acceptable for a lot of purposes, say, is 100 pixels per inch. So let's just look at if we take our theoretical six megapixel camera that's got 3000 pixels across of real image detail given that good, better, best spectrum, how big a piece of paper could I print that on? Eight by 10 would be your best result. You could do a 15 inch wide print at 200 pixels per inch. Just let me interrupt you for one second, Royce. When we're talking about, you know, the actual best, yes, I hear what we're saying. In theory, the actual legitimate pixels that come with the camera, that's gonna be the best. But some of these algorithms, some third-party software, some of this upsizing um, phenomenon is so sophisticated that often, yes, maybe your eight by 10 might be best, but maybe 11 by 14, 12 by 16, maybe that in the hands of a skilled upsizer might be imperceptible to a human. Is that, is that true? That is true. Uh, so this is actually a really good segue. We'll come back to the idea of, you know, how big can you really go? But uh, let's talk about uh, the human viewer. Could you see the difference between print A and print B uh, if print B was twice the size? A lot of this is going to come down to your viewing distance because the human eye has a, a physiological limit of its ability to determine detail. Some of that varies from person to person. You probably know some really sharp-eyed people. We'd say, oh, they're Hawkeye or they're Eagle Eye, you know, something like that. They can really pick out a lot of detail a long way away. But in average terms, most people have a degradation that the farther away they get from something, the less detail they can see from it. And there are some numbers from a lot of studies that you can look at that would give you uh, roughly a, a number of pixels per inch or dots per inch of, of the normal human viewer, how far away they are from something. Um, Jeff Shiwi is a name that probably a lot of the photography.ca listeners are going to be familiar with. He's a, a longstanding uh, expert in the area of digital uh, photo processing and digital printing, and he's just recently produced a couple of new books. Uh, one is brand new, just out this month, called The Digital Print, and in there, on page 129, he's got an excellent little chart 
that gives the average viewing distance of an average person how many inches away from the print you are and how many dots per inch or pixels per inch of detail your eye could actually see. And what he's pointing out in there is that if you're about 12 inches away, you're going to be able to see detail at about 285 dots per inch. If you're 24 inches away, that's two feet, the ability of your eye to see the detail on that paper is cut in half. It's about 145 dots per inch. So when we think back to the good, better, best that I gave you, 300 pixels per inch, 200 and 100, the reason those numbers come up with is because of the expected distance away from the print your viewer is going to be. We don't view photographs by getting up, you know, two inches away and just eyeballing them with a magnifying glass. Normally they're on a wall, you know, maybe there's some lighting, maybe this is a, uh, a home or it's a gallery or a business uh, boardroom, but we're going to be usually even more than two feet away from the print when we're looking at it. If you really give it a concentrated attention, you may go up and stand maybe a foot and a half to two feet away, but that's the typical viewing distance of an image. And so according to the table that Jeff has got in his book, uh, somewhere between 145 and 285 pixels per inch will give you a really good looking print with detail that's going to be indistinguishable to your average viewer. Very interesting and very good to know. Now, of course, the viewing distance, that's only going to be a suggestion, you know, being a photographer and having gone and having visited many galleries with other photographers, regardless how large the print is, very many of us are going to go three inches from the thing in order to expect inspect the resolution. You're absolutely right. Photographers love to look at the technical details. You know, we talk about the specs of our cameras. We talk about our software plugins. We look at the print at eyeball bleeding distance, you know, two, three inches away. But you got to keep in mind that a photographer maybe is not your average viewing audience. And when you're making prints, as the photographer, who are you making that print for? Is it for yourself? Is it for your family and friends? Is it for other photographers? Is it for customers? Is it a commercial customer? Is it a fine art customer? Is it going to be printed on a billboard for a large advertising campaign? So the usage and who the viewers are and the viewing conditions of those viewers matters a great deal in thinking about how big can I print that? Sure. And because photographers are such pixel peepers, back to the original technical discussion, what you are suggesting is if a photographer does inspect that print two or three inches from the wall, he will most likely find that the 8x10 is going to be sharper than the 11x14? Absolutely. Uh, from up close, you know, say eight inches or less, uh, in Jeff's table, you can see uh, probably double the amount of detail on the page from maybe even triple the amount of detail from an average viewer who's standing more than two feet away from that print. So if you eyeball it, you will see the difference of more pixels per inch, which means a smaller print. The, the photographer is going to be uh, be able to pick that out because they've got the they've got a, a discerning eye as well. We look at thousands of images and we we can discriminate that. We're looking for that level of detail. Cool. Okay. Nice segue. Maybe let's get back to upsizing now. Yeah. So if we go back to our our theoretical camera, a six megapixel camera that's three thousand pixels across, a best print would be ten inches across. A good print would be fifteen inches across. And probably still an acceptable print for many cases, I would say, would be 30 inches across. So think about that. Here you've got your little 2,000 by 3,000 image from a, a relatively low-end 6-megapixel camera. Depending on the quality of the image, and we'll talk about that in a second, it is theoretically possible you could do a 20 by 30-inch print of that 
that would be acceptable in a lot of cases. And there are even cases where you could go much, much larger than that. But we'll talk about that in a second. So a lot of people, I think, because we're photographers and we're scrutinizing our own images with a fine-tooth comb, we're pixel peeping, you know, we're looking on the monitor, we're looking up close, we think, oh, you know, it doesn't look good. I'm going to suggest that in a lot of cases, you can actually print bigger than you think. That's where that good, better, best spectrum comes into. Thinking about the purpose of, of making the print, who your viewer is, and what the viewing condition are, and the fact that most people will not be pixel peeping the way that we do. They're looking at it on a wall, in some lighting. They're going to be two feet away or more, usually. You might actually be able to get larger prints than you think out of relatively entry-level cameras. You don't have to spend a huge amount of money on a great camera to print large if that's what you want to do. Very cool. The only caveat is you must respect the viewing distance. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about that then. Uh, I think this is a good jumping off point. So the pixels in your image file, that's the, the real stuff that you've got to work with to print. And then we talked about how the larger and larger you print, the software is going to start manufacturing extra pixels to fill in those blanks. So let's talk about some of the conditions then that limit how big you can really go. Last podcast that we did, in fact, you and I, we talked about that digital junk, the artifacts, you know, halos, noise, chromatic aberration, all that kind of stuff. This is one of the first limitations on how big you can print. If you have a lot of junk in your image file, it's a noisy you know, file that's not sharp, it's maybe blurry, it's got a lot of garbage in it. The more you print, you're enlarging the image, but that means you're enlarging the junk that's in the image as well. So all of the things being equal, a cleaner image is going to print bigger than a junky image. If you want to print big, you'll want to take some care over getting a really good exposure initially in the camera, and you want to take some care over how you process that image. You don't want to over sharpen it. You don't want to have a lot of noise in it. You don't want to have a lot of halos. You don't want to have chromatic aberration. You don't want to have these flaws. You want to try to avoid them or correct them if you can, if your intention is to print that file big, because the bigger it goes, the bigger those flaws are going to be and the more noticeable they're going to be to the viewer. So, um, you know, a possible tip to add might be when possible, use the lowest ISO possible as well. That's a really good example. So, you know, use ISO 100. Uh, if you can shoot on a tripod, say you're a landscape photographer, shoot on a tripod and use the low ISO setting. Or if you're doing architecture, or if you're, say, uh, street shooting, brace yourself on the back of a park bench or, a, you know, a handy tree limb or something like that to try to use a lower ISO so that you don't have a lot of noise in that image if you know that your intended goal is to print big. And here's there's where there's a feedback loop. We, you know, we've heard the word uh, visualization and thinking of the end state of your image and how that feeds all the way back at the time of capture when you're out in the field taking the shot. You need to think about, is this an image that I'm going to be printing big? Because if it is, there might be some things that you do already in the field, knowing in advance you want to make this as big a print as you can to produce a better quality file that will stand up to better enlargement. Sure. And just off the cuff, you know, if maybe some beginning listeners are listening, then even one of the variables like shutter speed, you know, let's say you were photographing something that was moving and let's say you photographed it at a 60th of a second, but it was moving rather quickly. It may look good in the 8x10, uh, but when you blow it up, 11x14, 1620 and larger, you may see that movement more. So just maybe something else to be aware of. If you really want your image as sharp as possible, you should probably respect, you know, shutter speed minimums and go for really low ISOs, keep it on tripod and, you know, try and uh, be very aware of um, not introducing extra garbage like chromatic aberration and halos into your prints as well. 
Yeah, and the, the, the situation you talk about with the shutter speed actually is a really common one. The the blur from a moving image, I see this over and over again, and I talk to people about it uh, when they're just starting to get into printing. When you look at the back of your LCD on your camera, every image that we ever shoot looks brilliant. Isn't that the case? You know, They look <laughs> sharp, they look wonderful. But when you get it back on the monitor or you get a big print, things like blur from the motion or if the focus, you know, maybe you're shooting an autofocus lens, but the focus wasn't quite locked on. That's another type of image flaw that we didn't talk about in our last podcast. But the more you enlarge the image, the more any kind of flaw is going to show up. So the better the quality of the image that you can make it, the bigger you're going to be able to enlarge it. That's generally speaking true. Now, of course, you can always do something that I also talked about in the podcast last time, and that is uh, what we call in the software industry, it's not a bug, it's a feature. So maybe you've got bad light, you're shooting indoors, you know, you can't use a flash and tripods are not permitted. You know you're going to have a slow shutter speed. So instead of trying to make a sharp image, maybe you go the opposite direction and say, okay, I'm actually going to blur the heck out of this and go for some sort of an artistic impressionistic thing and make it really blurry so it doesn't look like a mistake. And then, of course, I'm going to print that big and people will say, well, it's a blurry image, but it's supposed to be that way. <laughs> or, or, you know, just to jack the ISO up really, really high and say you wanted it very grainy. You wanted to see all that structure. Absolutely. You know, if you go with black and white, there's a long kind of heritage of film grain as a desirable quality in black and white. So if you are somebody that's comfortable working in the black and white genre, film grain is not a problem. You know, that grain in there actually is something that you may want to even introduce. And I've done this myself. If I see an image that's actually too clean, I want more grain. I actually add digital noise into my black and white images to get that grain in there to give it just that extra bite. And then when I print it, of course, you, you don't see it in a distracting way. It just looks like a natural, organic part of the image. Sure, sure. I've done the exact same thing, and, and we talked about this on our last podcast as well. The subject matter is also going to be pretty important as well, won't it? I mean, if we're recording something, if we're trying to capture something, rather, with loads and loads of detail versus a dreamier scene, that's also going to make a big difference, won't it? You bet. So this is the uh, the next major limitation on how big you can print that. We've talked about the amount of pixels of data that are in there, but pixels of what? And the example that I gave in our, our email discussion leading up to the recording today is suppose you're doing a close-up of tulip petals. It's color, it's these dreamy, out-of-focus uh, blurs of just forms and shapes with, you know, tones of yellows or reds or whatever the color of the flower is. There isn't a lot of detail in there, especially if you're shooting, uh, like often uh, abstract flower shots are very shallow depth of field. So it's intentionally blurred. You don't have a lot of detail in that image. You could print that larger and larger and larger, and it isn't going to fall apart for the reason of lack of detail because there isn't any detail in it in the first place. It's all just this dreamy, impressionistic form and shades of color and light. And that kind of thing can enlarge extremely big. Whereas if you look at a traditional, say, a landscape or a cityscape that's full of texture and detail, there's all kinds of tones, you know, there's objects that are in there, there's rocks, trees, there's cars, there's buildings and concrete and people and fabric and all this stuff. That stuff has detail and our eye tries to make sense out of it and we try to say, I know what that is and I know what it looks like. The larger and larger you enlarge that, it is going to hit a point where it's going to start to fall apart at 
a normal viewing distance, which is, say, two to three feet away from that print. It just isn't going to look good anymore. The, the content of the image and the subject matter that you're photographing and the style, whether you're going for an impressionistic style versus a really gritty photorealistic style, matters a great deal on how big you want to print that print. It totally makes sense. I wonder if we should also talk about what we're printing on at this point. That's another really good limiting factor uh, or, a, or a contributing factor, let's call it that. It's not always limiting. Uh, I think anybody that has printed knows that digital printing today, there's been an explosion in the availability of print media. And in some ways, it's a tremendously exciting time to be getting into printing for people maybe that have never printed a photograph before. Uh, there's all kinds of media that are available, uh, not just paper, but there are other alternative medias like metal, acrylic, canvas, all this kind of stuff. When you get into looking at the qualities of the media, they're not all the same kind of thing. You could look at a really, really super glossy photo paper, something that's very reflective, very, very sharp and very bright, very white. That is going to hold a tremendous amount of detail because the surface of the paper is designed to really uh, have incredible sharpness of the ink drops as they get laid down on the surface of the paper. It's very crisp, it's very bright, it's very contrasty, it's very saturated for color, it has very deep blacks, very white whites. So something that you print on that is naturally speaking going to lend itself well to a very detailed image. And if the detail of the image is falling down because you've over enlarged, then that glossy media is kind of going to show that very well. But if you look at something on the opposite end of the spectrum, let's say a canvas print, and we've probably all seen these in uh, galleries or you know craft shows or whatever, it's become very popular. Canvas surface is not smooth and sharp and glossy and highly reflective. It's textured. It has a surface texture to it from the canvas weave of the fabric. And so it tends to break up the detail of an image. And if you wanted to have an image that was very, very sharp and very detailed, you wouldn't actually want to print it on canvas because the surface material actually interferes with the detail of your print. But let's take that the other way and say maybe my print doesn't have a large amount of detail or I want to enlarge it really, really big. The canvas print, because of the surface texture of the media, is going to sort of masquerade for the, the lack of the real image detail as you enlarge larger and larger sizes. So the difference between a smooth, high brightness, saturated, sharp, high gloss photo paper versus a textured canvas makes a real big difference on how large of an image and the type of image you would want to print on that media for best results. Makes perfect sense. And I would think it would also make sense that, you know, if we use those two as the extreme, a very high gloss paper versus canvas, that, you know, there's a that there's a continuum in between. So let's say you have a matte paper with a bit of tooth that will give you, let's say, a sharper print than canvas, but less sharp than a glossy paper, perhaps. That's correct, uh, especially if you're using, uh, let's say, a, a nice cotton rag, uh, fine art matte paper. It is going to be a rougher surface. Uh, it's designed to diffuse the light a little bit. That's why we would call it matte versus glossy. The light that reflects off the paper uh, is reflected in a little bit of a diffused pattern, so the ink droplets appear to be a little fuzzier. The ink also maybe soaks into the surface of the paper a little bit, so the paper absorbs the, the print media, the print ink as it's being laid down, and that tends to break up the absolute sharpness of it a little bit. Not nearly as bad as canvas, but certainly uh, it's not as 
crisp and sharp by design as a super glossy photo paper would be. Uh, and of course, there's other continuums as well in there. So think about the quality of your image, whether it's a really detailed image or not. Think about how big you're trying to enlarge it and then do a little bit of matching to say, well, I've got a choice of several different sites of media that I could pick. What's a really good matchup between a media and my image and the size of the image? And uh, you may be able to actually make that image enlarge bigger than you might have thought if you're not printing on a glossy photo paper. For sure. And now perhaps, you know, maybe uh, let's get into the nitty gritty, actually, how we actually do the upsizing, the post-processing part of it. That's a really good point. Uh, I think a lot of people probably don't realize there's actually anything going on in the enlarging. Let's, let's take an average uh, person who's maybe got Photoshop or Lightroom, and they use that application to print. So in there, there's a, a print menu option. They hit print, a window pops up. There's a couple boxes where you can type in some inches for the size of your paper. They type that in, they hit OK, and the print pops out of the printer. And they're maybe not cognizant of this whole thing I talked about earlier in the way that the image is upsized in the digital pipeline. In fact, if you are that average person just printing from Photoshop or Lightroom, your image is being enlarged for you by some piece of software. You're not aware of it, it, you know, you're not in control of it, but it's going on. It's taking those image pixels, say, back to our six megapixel image, and it's spreading them out over the paper and having to fill in the blanks in between. Some piece of software somewhere is doing that for you. Now, if you want to move beyond that and start to get control over this, then you can actually do the upsizing yourself manually. Uh, Photoshop users in particular will have some experience with this. If they've ever tried to change the size or resolution of an image, they know that there's an image resizing menu item in Photoshop. And you can go in and you can type in a different number of pixel count in those uh, image resize boxes. Or they can type in a different number of inches and they can actually make the image size larger or smaller. Inside there, in fact, let me just uh, bring up an image on my computer here while we're talking so I can give you a, a specific example. There is uh, some methods that you can pick that control how the software is going to upsize that digital image for you. Uh, these are called interpolation methods. That would be the normal uh, term that I would use for them. And if you're a Photoshop user or many other software, you'll be familiar with some of these. It's at the bottom of the image resizing box in Photoshop. We'll stick with that as our example. And if I look at the examples that are in there, there's um, bicubic, bicubic smoother, bicubic sharper, bilinear nearest neighbor. These are some weird names, but what they all mean is there's a piece of software inside Photoshop that will choose to manufacture those fill in the blank pixels based on some different methods. And there's many, many other methods besides these ones that Photoshop has. The key thing about them all is that they're not all created equal. They have different strengths and they have different weaknesses. So if you're really trying to get the best bang for buck out of your image upsizing, rather than just using Photoshop or Lightroom and hitting print, you know, and typing in some inches and then clicking OK, you probably want to grab control over that upsizing process and upsize the image yourself. Grab control of these uh, interpolation methods like bicubic and so on and actually choose specifically to use a certain upsizing method that matches what you want to do. Now, of course, as in is often the case with Photoshop in particular, everything that Photoshop does, there's also third-party companies out there that make plugins that you can buy, or in some cases are free, that you can plug into Photoshop, and they offer different methods. There are some that your listeners are probably familiar with. 
Uh, one in particular that was quite popular it was called Genuine Fractals for a long time. It's now called uh, Perfect Resize, I believe, from On One Software. This is a, a plugin whose main purpose in life is to upsize your image for you, and it uses different software methods to manufacture those fill-in-the-blank pixels, and its claim to fame is that it does a better job than Bicubic in Photoshop. There's all kinds of people on the internet that will argue until the cows come home about whether software A is better than software B is better than software C. The point is there are alternatives. They do have different characteristics. And if you really want to get control over this whole upsizing thing to maximize your quality, uh, your viewers should probably, your listeners rather, should check out some of these options and see which ones are best for their cases. Just curious, I know these things can get rather complex, but in terms of a few of the choices, let's say in Photoshop, is there any way we could talk about the differences between those interpolation methods really quickly? Uh, there is, uh, uh, because I have some pretty strong opinions about them. <laughs> Please go. So, so Photoshop has got three main uh, upsizing methods, bicubic, bicubic smoother, and bicubic sharper. And my quick answer is always use bicubic. Don't use the others. Uh, bicubic sharper in particular has a built-in sharpening pass that is wired into it. Uh, we've talked about digital sharpening a little bit in the past, and you have some other podcasts on that topic as well. But Bicubic Sharper will enlarge the image, manufacture a bunch of these fill-in-the-blanks pixels, and then it will do a sharpening on the results, but it doesn't give you any control over the sharpening. It's a hardwired fixed amount of sharpening that it decides to apply, and you don't have any control. And for my taste, it's too much for sure. So I do not use Bicubic Sharper really ever for anything. Bicubic Smoother does the opposite. Uh, rather than trying to make the large, the enlarged image sharper, it actually tries to make it smoother. And in most cases, that's not something that we want either because the very act of enlarging the image and manufacturing those extra pixels, it by definition makes the image look a little bit fuzzy anyway. And there's not a lot of cases where we would want to go and say, oh, you know, that's not fuzzy enough. I want to make it even more fuzzy. We're typically fighting the opposite fight, which is, no, it's not sharp enough. I need more detail. I need more definition. So you're not normally going to want to use Bicubic Smoother. So in Photoshop and in any other kind of application that has those type of uh, Bicubic choices, the basic Bicubic is normally the one that you want to use probably 99% of the time, unless you've got some really, really special case. Really good to know. Really good to know. If you'd be able to share your technique with us, Royce, I know people would be into it. Okay. So I uh, had a look at printing through Photoshop a long time ago, and this was before Lightroom existed even, and decided that I wasn't getting the quality of prints that I wanted out of it um, with the amount of work that I wanted to sp spend on it. So I went into uh, a lot of internet research and checking a lot of stuff out, and I've uh, decided on another dedicated printing application that I use that's called QImage. And it has other mechanisms in it besides just the basic bicubic for upsizing your image. And uh, they do a bunch of other stuff as well in there. It's a, it's a specific printing application that's grown to have quite a lot of other image processing functions in it. Kind of like what happened with Lightroom. When Lightroom came out and then suddenly more and more features and functions started to come into Lightroom, um, that's happening a little bit with QImage. But the core of QImage really is to be the Swiss Army knife of printing. And so my printing workflow for enlargements uh, for the prints that I make in-house myself is all based around QImage. Now, the, the basic bicubic enlargement method is in there, but they've got a whole bunch of others uh, that the software developer, uh, Mike Cheney, has researched 
and has developed and put into the software. And for my money, for the average cases, the way that QImage upsizes the image and the way that it applies some very intelligent sharpening methods is actually uh, much better than what you can get out of just printing straight through Photoshop. Lightroom is an interesting case now that's come to pass in just the last few years. And it's uh, no mistake that I mentioned uh, the name of Jeff Shiwi earlier in his new books, uh, The Digital Negative and The Digital Print, because Jeff has been involved in the development of Lightroom with the folks at Adobe, and he's had some input in the printing engine of Lightroom. So uh, Jeff has been involved in the development of Lightroom with the Adobe folks, and there's some new uh, interesting upsizing and sharpening modifications that have been added into the printing module of Lightroom. And so I would say Lightroom is also uh, a better printing tool to use than just straight Photoshop. And it's because of the way that the uh, software does the upsizing and because of the way that it applies some sharpening after the upsizing to try to counteract that softening effect that happens when we expand the image and manufacture those fill-in-the-blanks pixels. You know, that tends to fuzz the image out a little bit and running some digital sharpening on it after the upsizing can actually get back some visual apparent detail and definition to your image before the dots hit the page during the print process. Really good to know. Just curious, do you have any head-to-head uh, -head tests or personal experiences with regard to QImage versus Perfect Resize? Perfect Resize is one that I have not looked at for a long time. Uh, I did evaluate it many, many years ago when it was called Genuine Fractals. And for my purposes, uh, it was an easier workflow for me to use QImage at that time rather than using another Photoshop plugin and having to create a very specific enlarged print file. Uh, QImage has some on-the-fly upsizing that it does, very much like Lightroom. It's kind of a, a non-destructive workflow. You don't need to create this giant print master file on your hard drive that consumes many, many megabytes of disk space. Uh, QImage will construct the image and kind of render it on the fly going off of your original image out of the camera. And so for my personal workflow, that was better. But I do know a lot of people that use Perfect Resize and they're quite satisfied with the results. It's a very different workflow for printing. And uh, so I certainly would say if any of your listeners are interested in checking it out, it, it, uh, it has some, some real meat to it. it. It does something real. And it's uh, for people that want a, a Photoshop type of workflow, it certainly is something that they could look at. So another good tool for people that may want to take much more control over their upsizing and sharpening workflow for making big prints is from the Pixel Genius Company, uh, which is uh, a company that Jeff Shiwi is also involved in. And this is called PhotoKit Sharpener. And uh, it's got some very special algorithms built into it for doing sharpening on large print files. And that's also something that uh, your very, very hands-on Photoshop workflow type listeners might want to look into as a very specialized plugin. Thanks for all that great info, Royce. Uh, and finally, um, taste comes into this, doesn't it? You bet. This is like being a good chef uh, or a good, uh, a good musician. You're handed a musical score or you're handed a recipe, but you always in, put your own special interpretation on something. You always season to taste. A lot of what we've talked about has been the technical nuts and bolts of how do you make a print big and how do you maximize the technical qualities. But you as a photographer, you're the only one that knows what you want to do with your own art. You know what your purpose is. Is this image going to be uh, kind of a, a large, large scale, a building mural, something that's on a, on a wall, or is it on a billboard that people are driving by on a highway at 100 kilometers an hour? Or is this a very high dollar item fine art print that's going to be sold in the finest galleries by some extremely discriminating art buyers? 
you know your purpose and you know your personal taste as the artist, as the photographer, and how you want that image to look. So really you take the technical matters and you always put the technical matters in service of the purpose that you're making that print because you're the only one who knows what that purpose is. And you've got some latitude. You can push it, you can pull it. There are people in the film days that would only make contact prints of their film. You might be a, a landscape photographer shooting a large format camera, 4 by 5 inches or 8 by 10 inches. And if you made a contact print, what that means is your print was exactly the same size as your negative. It would be 4 by 5 inches or 8 by 10 inches. And they would not enlarge, you know, because they felt enlargement reduced the quality or whatever. So there are some people in digital that do the same. They only want to make a digital print that uses the maximum amount of quality information that comes straight out of the camera. But then there are plenty of other people that don't have that rigorous level of a quality of the image that they want to print. So your personal taste and the purpose of what you're applying that print to at the end of the day really tell you how far you can push the size. And experiment and learn where your limits are and uh, what your purposes are and then you'll know how far you can push a given image. Right. And and back to what we spoke about maybe a half hour ago, you know, what you're photographing is also going to be key in this. You know, if it's a scene of moving water, it's going to be, you're going to have less rigid constraints than if it's, you know, a field full of sharp and you want the flower sharp in that field and every blade of grass sharp. That's going to be uh, a far more difficult print to produce technically, more likely, I would think. Correct. At the larger size, any flaws in that sharp, you know, say it's a, a prairie shot, a field of canola in full bloom under a nice blue sky, you know, those canola blooms will enlarge up to a certain point and then they're going to start to look digital. They'll look enlarged, they'll look, you know, fuzzy or fake somehow. But uh, the, the moving water, like you talked about, a nice river at sunset that's just all slow, blurred, moving lines of water, you'll be able to enlarge that image to a really, really huge size because there isn't any real detail in there that the eye is trying to lock onto and say, I know exactly what that thing is supposed to be and I know what it looks like and this is not it. You know, you'll be able to take those abstract images much bigger. Fabulous info as always, Royce. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add before we conclude? We've thrown out a lot of technical stuff out there, but as always, uh, just get out there and do it, guys. You know, for every listener out there, make some great shots and print them. Get them up on your wall, you know, get them into your life. Uh, we spend a lot of time with our technology looking at screens and keyboards and iPads and all of that kind of stuff. But there's nothing like having a good print hanging on your wall and just living with your image in your real space at home, at work, wherever it is. Uh, so print those images and get them out there. Yeah, really. Uh, I, I totally agree. You know, and, you know, we're talking about upsizing here. So we're talking about, you know, bigger prints. Often with those bigger prints come bigger costs because the larger paper is, the more expensive it becomes. That said, you know, 8 by 10 pieces of paper or 8 by 11, those aren't too, too bad. You'll pay maybe $30 for, you know, a pack of 25 or something like this. So to experiment printing, you know, 8 by 10 size, which is still quite large for someone that's just used to getting, you know, who's never gotten a print back from the pharmacy, let's say, you know, an eight by 12 size uh, is, is a nice size to, to start out with, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm old enough to remember the shoebox full of 35 millimeter slides and we would pull out the slide projector with the carousel and, you know, that was our image or the, uh, the family photo album full of the little, you know, the, the black and white six by six square, uh, images or the four by six color prints from your Kodak Instamatic. So, you know, anybody that's a little older, you'll have a memory of a lot of prints and they'll be kind of down in that size. We can easily print eight by 10, 11 by 14 with pretty much any digital camera these days and they look great. And that's a fairly respectable size. So, 
you've got some latitude to uh, to push that. And if you want to invest the money in your personal photo printer with some good media, feel free to experiment. You know, even if you're taking it to a third-party printing provider, whomever it may be, local or one of the internet-based ones, uh, try doing some larger prints. You may be very, very pleasantly surprised how good they look and how good they look on your wall. Awesome. Really appreciate uh, your time as always, Royce. And uh, we know we'll be speaking to you at some point in the future. All right. Awesome. We'll look forward to it. And cheers for now. And I'd like to thank Royce Howland one last time for always explaining technical matters so easily. If you want to find out more about Royce, you can always check him out at vividaspectphoto.com. Before I forget, uh, one thing that we talked about in the podcast were the resampling choices within Photoshop. Well, there's actually a fourth choice that we didn't talk about in some versions of Photoshop, and that's the bicubic automatic. So normally you want to avoid this automatic uh, sharpening or smoothing. And so the best choice is just going to be bicubic all by itself. In terms of assignments this month on the forum, we have a regular assignment, high perspective looking down, already some cool submissions, and our level two assignments shooting into the light, some very varied submissions as well. I'm going to submit mine hopefully within the next few days. So if you've submitted, uh, thank you, and please feel free to submit again. And if you're lurking on our forum, we're a friendly bunch, why not join and submit in one of our fun assignments? I'd like to thank the Camera Store for sponsoring this and future podcasts. The Camera Store is a full-line dealer for an entire range of photographic equipment and supplies. Whether you are a leading professional or new to photography, their expert staff are always ready to assist you in finding the perfect equipment at great prices. And on a personal note, if you're going to be in Montreal anytime from October 1st to December 31st, I'm showing some of my photography at the Meridian Versailles Hotel in Montreal. The title of the show is Illuminite, and I'll be featuring 25 of my nighttime, long exposure, fun, colorful photographs. So if you're in Montreal, uh, please check it out. Uh, please send me an email. I'd love to meet you there and talk about the work if you like. If you're going to be in Montreal on October 3rd in particular, from 5.30 to 7.30, there is a vernissage or a launch where it's basically you know a wine and cheese type thing there's no charge to the event and i'll be there and uh, you can come check out the uh, work and have some wine and cheese and say hi well thanks so much for listening to the podcast everyone hopefully now uh, you might feel a little more comfortable in making some uh, bigger enlargements for yourself like uh, royce and i talked about at the beginning of the podcast there's nothing like printing and holding a photograph that you've taken that you've made it's a really satisfying feeling so just get out there keep on shooting and print a shot or two Bye for now, everyone. Thanks so much for listening.